0: these experiences of friendship breakups can feel incredibly isolating. Mm -hmm. There is this sense of shame, this belief that we are the only ones who struggle in this way. And it can be very difficult to know who we should turn to in those kinds of breakups as well, which can leave us feeling even more isolated.
1: I know you are doing the best that you can right now. Your relationships matter to you. You are important. And yet over time, we get stuck. We get lost or we stop showing up as our true self. We get hung up on the stories we tell ourselves, the comparisons, or feeling like we are not good enough. I'm Not Your Shrink is a podcast aimed at helping you feel connected to yourself, to others, and to live a life that is in line with what matters most to you. I'm Dr. Tracy Dalglish, clinical psychologist and couples therapist. I bring you clinical knowledge and evidence-based research, experiences of sitting in the therapist chair, and being a wife and mother to talk about everyday issues we all face to help you change the dialogue in your life. Let's dive in. Today, I am sitting with a friend and colleague, Dr. Miriam Kermeyer, to talk about friendship breakups. Dr. Kermeyer is a clinical psychologist, writer, speaker, and leading friendship expert who has studied the science of friendship and social connection for over a decade. Her work focuses on helping others navigate life transitions, cultivate resilience and self-compassion, and build stronger relationships with the people who matter most. Her words and advice have appeared in outlets such as The Atlantic, CNN, Forbes, The New York Times, Time, and Vogue. She is a featured expert for Psychology Today and Women's Health and a frequent guest on television shows and podcasts. As a speaker and consultant, Dr. Kermeyer partners with businesses and organizations including Bumble and Snap Inc on events and initiatives related to social connection and mental health. Whether she is working one-on-one with clients or sharing the science of connection and compassion, her goal is to help others create meaningful relationships and fulfilling lives. Dr. Kermeyer maintains a private practice in Montreal, Canada, where she lives with her husband Daniel and their curious and spirited son, Liam. Now, before we dive into this episode, I would love to hear from you. Head over to iTunes and leave me a review so others can also reach this podcast, or take a screenshot and share it to your social media platform and tag me and let me know that you're listening and to help others reach this podcast. Let's dive into the episode. Dr. Miriam Kermeyer, I am so thrilled to be sitting with you today. I view our work as very similar in the sense that I work with women and their romantic relationships, and you work with women and their intimate friendships. There is so much overlap in what we do, but there is also a lot of uniqueness. Our friendships are truly unique, and one of the things that I love what you talk about is how you frame friendships as this is where you choose to put your energy,
0: Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I'm really looking forward to our chat.
1: I think this is going to be such a great chat. But before we dive in, just as a way to get started and to let people know who you are, tell us three things about you that make you who you are. Sure.
0: Uh, What can I say? I, I guess, first of all, Probably unsurprisingly, i'm I'm very passionate about human connection. and obviously that includes meaningful conversations with friends. But I would say that also includes unexpected moments of connection with strangers. And uh, I'm certainly finding that especially meaningful these days as I'm connecting with neighbors on the street and uh, some familiar faces and really craving that connection. Yeah, so I would say that's that's one thing. Um, I find for me humor is also one of my most cherished coping mechanisms. So, We're watching some comedy specials lately, and I find those especially helpful. Well-timed sarcasm can be deeply therapeutic. (laughs) Um, I'll add that in my mind, humor works best, whether that's in our casual relationships or friendships or even in therapy. It works best when it's used as a way to approach life's more challenging and difficult moments as opposed to running away from it or trying to escape it. Uh,
1: and I, actually, I, I love that. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I know my partner and I use humor all the time, even in those tense moments, right? Just to yeah. break it up because it doesn't have to be so heavy all the time. That's it. It
0: can be incredibly disarming. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I certainly find that helpful in many ways. Outside of my work as a therapist, I'm also really passionate about knowledge transfer. And so I see the work that I do from my writing and speaking and consulting work is really falling under that umbrella. And, it's taken me a while to embrace the role and title of writer because I mm-hmm. think so often we measure our, our success, but more than that, kind of our identity and our, and our roles, uh, we measure that by the output or by kind right. of these um, tangible measures of uh-huh. success. And so for me, it's taken me a while to be able to embrace this role of writer um, and to just see that as something that kind of brings me meaning and connection as opposed to, um, yeah, some kind of outward measure of success.
1: Yes, that's right. You know, I think in our role as psychologists, we often can talk about the number of clients we see each week mm-hmm. as a measure of success or of, of productivity, rather. I would not say success, but productivity. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also, too, there's this sense of process, eh? Like, just what's the process about doing this for you? And it sounds like that brings you so much meaning.
0: It, it does. And as you're talking, I, you know, I think this, this ties in with the idea of friendship, too, that one of the things I see and one of the stories that we tell ourselves over and over again is this idea that the um, measure of success or the Quality or the goodness, so to speak, of our social circles and networks depends on the number of friends that we have, the number of connections that we have. And again, it's much less about these kind of um, quantifiable measures of like, success and more right. to do with our subjective experience of feeling connected and feeling supported.
1: Right. Yeah. That's so key, eh? That it's not about the number of friends or how many people are in our circles. You know, mm-hmm. that's a common issue I hear from people come up in my therapy room in the sense that, oh, I don't have a lot of friends, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. But do you have that person that you can turn to? There's someone that you can share some things that you're struggling with or, you know, if you need to help moving furniture, you could call that person and they'd be like, yeah, I'll be there in a dime or, you know, can't make it today, but count me in for tomorrow. That's yeah. so important. Yeah. Okay, let's dive into the topic of friendship breakup because this is such a difficult one. I know many women experience a range of emotions after ending a friendship from feelings of shame to feelings of loss and grief and for some even a sense of relief. For myself, I've also gone through a friendship breakup losing someone significant in my life. Now, for myself, one of the biggest things that this experience left me with was wondering, am I the only one to experience this? Or even the thought of, is there something wrong with me to have lost a friendship?
0: Yeah, I will say you're most definitely not the only one, but these experiences of friendship breakups can feel incredibly isolating. Mm-hmm. There is this sense of shame, this belief that we are the only ones who struggle in this way. And it's It can be very difficult to know who we should turn to in those kinds of breakups as well, which can leave us feeling even more isolated. I will say as painful and as personal as friendship breakups can be, in many ways, it's also a universal friendship experience Mm -hmm. that many of us can relate to this on some level. Um, a large part of the work that I do falling under this umbrella of friendships is not just helping people to make and keep close connections, but also learning how to navigate the ending of a friendship, both in terms of how do we actually do that and how do we cope when that happens as well.
1: Mm, I really like that you say that right there. This is a universal experience, right? It's not just one person that many people experience this. So I'd love to hear from you. Have you ever experienced a friendship breakup? Mm -hmm.
0: So absolutely. Um, I will say... Again, I find the term friendship breakup in some ways can be a bit of a misnomer, because when we hear that, there tends to be this assumption that it's involved some kind of big betrayal or some type of very contentious argument leading to the breakup. And of course, that's one way to experience them. Mm. But there's also this idea of dissolutions in our friendships. And that can include these to just traditional breakups, but it can also include this more gradual experience of losing touch with somebody. Uh And I would say for me personally, those are the ones that come to mind and they can be equally as painful when we want to stay connected to someone, but for whatever reason, we're just not able to. Life gets in the way. We have shifting priorities and values, different needs, different expectations. And so for me, those are the ones that come to mind that, Uh. um, that I find myself mourning the loss of sometimes.
1: Yeah, absolutely. There's this sense of like over our lifetime, you know, this idea of coming closer together and then growing apart. And sometimes with the same person, we might come in and out over time. Mm-hmm. What was the hardest part about the the breakup or the kind of distancing for you?
0: Yeah, it's an interesting question. I would say a really... For me, the big part is just the acceptance piece of accepting Uh that this is somebody who's no longer in my life or no longer in my life in the same way that they once were. And really kind of accepting those changes in terms of the friendship itself, but also accepting the changes that have happened within me that potentially contributed to this distancing. My own shifting priorities and values, again, as I said, my needs and expectations, what I'm able to give.
1: Mm, right well what kinds of feelings about yourself stirred up or maybe about the other person there can be this tendency to blame ourselves mm-hmm. when
0: we experience some kind of friendship breakup. I think that's true of all breakups, but it's certainly
1: yeah. <laughs> I was just gonna say, well, that sounds like all breakups, right? Well, if, if I had only done this different, if right. I only told him I loved him more, if I only showed my right, like we tend to yeah. do this looking back, and you know, sometimes uh, that expression, right? Hindsight's 2020, 20, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. which doesn't mean I think this is a good one to talk about, it doesn't mean you look back with knowing, right? Mm-hmm. Hindsight's twenty twenty, 20 But you actually tend to look back with a biased perspective even, mm-hmm. right? Because you're not the same person as what you right. would have done back then. But yeah, so blame is such a common one. Yeah. And I know
0: for me personally, and also obviously in the work that I do, I see that we are very quick to assign blame because we want to make sense of our experiences. It comes from a place of wanting to understand what happened, what went on um, as a way to feel a sense of comfort, but also potentially control in the situation and right. control of our friendships moving forward. And so it's very easy to personalize those experiences, to feel as though there's something wrong with us, mm-hmm. that we weren't able to maintain this friendship, that that things did come to an end. Uh, it's also very easy to blame someone else and say, well, they didn't do enough. And the reality is, again, the majority of our friendships don't end because of some kind of very significant Um, argument or conflict, the majority of them end because of this gradual distancing, this gradual growing apart. And Uh usually in those situations, there isn't necessarily one person at fault. It's, It's a shared experience that we're going through.
1: Yes, of course. Yeah, that personalization, eh? That instead of being able to recognize that we are two separate people, that we have um, two separate feelings and thoughts and experiences, right? That you are both going to be different and how I think is going to be different than the other person. And it's not necessarily, you know, we, we can never be on the same page in some ways, eh? hmm Yeah. Yeah.
0: And this, I would imagine, is, is very true for couples work as well. That oh, yes. we, we know our friends. We know our partners, right? And so it's very easy to make assumptions about mm-hmm. what the other person is feeling or experiencing because a little bit of insight, we can take it and run with it. Oh, and, yeah. <laughs> right? and it's helpful to a point. But when it's causing us to make judgments or assumptions about what somebody else is feeling and, and where, where they're at, that can lead to difficulty.
1: Mm, Yeah, I've been talking a lot about curiosity and using Mm -hmm. curiosity in our relationships rather than kind of our beliefs or our assumptions about things, our own perceptions or interpretations, that instead it's kind of that um, removing ourselves from it Mm -hmm. and just seeing the other person as having their own experience, right? Mm -hmm. I, I mean, if we think of couples, the example of, you know, one person, well, I had this the other day, you know, I was kind of outwardly frustrated and irritable and it was just a tough day. And my partner has learned not to personalize this and it's not about him. And instead he says, do you need some time for you? And I was like, yeah, I do. I do need <laughs> some time for me. Thank you for seeing that. But he didn't take it as he did something wrong or I'm blaming him or I'm angry at him. It was just simply those two separate experiences. Yeah. Support for today's episode comes from Loop Earplugs. For so long after having children, I kept wondering why I was easily overwhelmed and felt like an angry mom. The noise from the kids, the dog barking, and the sounds around me from everyday life. But I now understand that I'm not an angry mom, and instead, my nervous system gets overwhelmed and overstimulated, which is why I've been turning more and more to my loop earplugs to help me stay more regulated and engaged with the family. I'm using Loop Engage to help dampen the sound around me, and these loop earplugs allow me to still be with every beat and conversation I still hear Greg I can still hear the kids I love that they are so comfortable and they come with eight silicone ear tips to ensure the right fit for you Times Dr. Tracy for 10% off your order. That's L O O P X D R T R A C Y for 10% off your order. Support for today's episode comes from ZocDoc. We all know there are things in life we have to compromise on, like the right way to load a dishwasher or whether those socks are going to stay on the floor for a week. Okay, in all seriousness, but when it comes to your mental health, There is no compromise, so we don't need to go back to that one therapist or one physician who didn't align with what we need just because they're available right now. We don't need to compromise on the care we need for our overall wellness. Instead, this is where ZocDoc comes in. This is a place where you can find and book hundreds of types of doctors, including therapists, psychologists, and psychiatrists. And you can find someone who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your well-being. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of patient-reviewed in-network doctors, including mental health providers, and instantly book appointments with them online. You can search by location, availability, and insurance. Go to ZocDoc.com I-N-Y-S and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. If I needed this app, this is one that I would be going to. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash I-N-Y-S and get the care that you need today. Support for today's episode comes from Cozy Earth. You know I am all about caring for ourselves, especially in these busy years with our young kids. We are pulled in so many directions, but I think it's so important for us to find ways to nurture ourselves that require no additional time from us. I should probably let you in on one of my favorite things to do to look after me, and that is to get a good night's sleep on amazing sheets. I am beyond thrilled to bring you Cozy Earth's luxurious bedding products with an exclusive Mother's Day offer just for my listeners. We've got a code. It's SHRINK, S-H-R-I-N-K, for 35% off at CozyEarth.com. Now, I didn't believe it until I tried them, but I firmly stand by my sleep improving with the temperature regulating technology, which adapts to your body's needs. For the past year, I have not slept on any other brand of sheets. Cozy Earth uses the very best fabrics, materials, and wares, offering superior softness for you to sink into at the end of those long days. I look forward to getting into bed, and we've been loving the sheets for Over a year, and their sleepwear is so unbelievably soft and it's made with such great quality. But the best part is that if you're worried about commitment, enjoy a 100 night sleep trial and a 10 year warranty on all of your purchases. Head over to cozyearth.com and use promo code SHRINK for an exclusive 35% off and give the luxury she deserves with Cozy Earth.
0: Yeah, no, I I definitely see that curiosity factor as being incredibly important in our friendships, both for maintaining them and, and strengthening them over time. Yeah. Um, but also in terms of having those more difficult conversations.
1: Right. Okay. So tell us how friendships can change. What, what are some of the factors that contribute to this?
0: Yeah, so friendships definitely evolve over a lifetime. I'll say, oh, wow. and uh, you know, there's a lot of research out there looking at younger children's friendships and teens' friendships, but I think for the most part, what we're talking about today are, are our friendships as adults. Mm-hmm. And one of the interesting things that we see is that our twenties are a particularly important time period when it comes to our friendships. So early on in our 20s, many of us are making close connections. And what we see is that around the age of 25 is when our social networks start to shrink. Mm -hmm. We start losing friends. And on the one hand, it highlights that kind of, again, our early 20s are important um, time period to to make close connections in. But it also just highlights how universal that that shrinking of our networks is, that this is a normal and expected experience. And on the one hand, it can be incredibly difficult and painful, but it's not all negative. So I see a big part of that as not just the challenges of maintaining our friendships because we're so busy and we have other relationships that take precedence and we have other responsibilities. But as we evolve, we're figuring out who we are, what our values are, um, who we're willing to prioritize and which relationships we're willing to invest in. Mm. And so as our networks start to shrink in an ideal world, we're then left with those connections that we really value. And those are the people with whom we can connect with in an authentic and genuine way. And those are the friendships that ideally are most likely to last and stand the test of time.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I'm thinking of even just the life stages, right? Like when you're in university or college or finishing up school, how different that stage is. And when you, you know, the different demands of life versus then you're starting to enter into your significant relationship. And perhaps if you decide to have children or your careers, you're moved away, you're pulled apart, right? So many people don't just stay in one city anymore.
0: Absolutely. And it's interesting that you frame it in that way because we know that kind of these major life experiences or transitions can affect our friendships in some surprising ways. And oftentimes, again, this distancing that happens has much less to do with the friendship itself and much more to do with other changes that are taking place in our environment. So I work with a lot of new mothers in my practice and in this work who are seeing those shifts in our friendship networks and it can go both ways, right? We can go through an incredibly difficult period in our life or experience and that can, um, in some ways, bring us further apart from our friends and make it more difficult to maintain those connections. But those types of challenges can also be incredibly meaningful. And going through those types of transitions and experiences with someone can really facilitate that closeness.
1: Mm. I I just want to repeat what you said I wrote it down it's not the friendship itself right it's like the life transition it's kind of again that like depersonalizing it's not Mm -hmm. taking it to mean that it's like something about you okay so we are recording this in the middle of a pandemic so of course I have to ask this question Mm -hmm. because it would be a miss (laughs) if I didn't but I wonder what are some of the changes that you think we're seeing in our friendships now due to (laughs) COVID-19
0: Yeah, this uh, this is definitely something that I've been talking a lot about, and and obviously experiencing in my own life as well. I, I would say the big, um, the big hot topic right now, or the big question that's on a lot of people's minds, is what do we do when a close friend is not approaching the situation with the same level of seriousness mm. or conscientiousness as we are? That right. that can be incredibly difficult, both my personal perspective, in terms of managing our own feelings and fears, but also in terms of the potential consequences for right. that friendship. And, I mean, there really isn't uh, one right answer there, right? And uh-huh. I think this is the point that I always try and drive home, is that the way that we handle these types of friendship challenges – is so specific to who we are, who that one friend is, that one person, and the friendship history that right. we have together. That it's impossible to give kind of a, a blueprint or a rule book for what we should do in mm-hmm. those situations. But I do see that as being one core challenge that many people are, are experiencing. Um, this is a somewhat different point, but I also see this experience of comparative suffering being very um, common in a lot of friendships. And what I mean by that is, we are all affected by the current situation albeit in different ways and it's very easy to then get caught up in these either internal narratives or conversations even with friends about who has it worse. Um, you know I, I see that conversation playing out uh, between friends where one person's a parent and the other is not and how challenging it can be to be a parent in this cur- current climate but also how it can bring with it a sense of meaning and connection um, and there being a bit of a push-pull in that sense. I have a lot of close friends and family members who are essential workers and doctors and social workers and nurses. And obviously there is a certain level of um, risk (laughs) and very real risk and fear involved in that, but there's also a certain level of job security right now. And so I see those kinds of discussions playing out again in my own network and with clients as well. And the problem is that those kinds of conversations in many ways can lead to more feelings of disconnection and isolation Mm -hmm. And the more we can do to, again, see this as a common struggle in some ways, even though the specifics differ, the more connected we feel.
1: Yeah, there's that sense of common humanity, eh? Like, we need to make sure that we see we are all having our own experience with this sense of acceptance, this non judging, Mm -hmm. and that curiosity, right? That we each are entitled to our own experience. That just because I think and feel one way doesn't mean that someone else's thoughts and feelings are different in that way. And, And almost what I hear there too is this there's this idea of setting loving boundaries right? Mm. that, you know, the boundary is not meant to be harsh or rude, but s- setting it in the way that I respect you and your choices and your decisions. And then this is also what I need to mm-hmm. happen in my life right now.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting because I also see that the discussion about our friendships during this time is very split in some ways. So I think there, there can be this draw, um, or this desire to kind of use these challenges, as a way to gauge which friendships we should prioritize or invest mm. in. So there's this question of, you know, notice who's showing up for you. Mm. Uh, notice who you yourself are reaching out to for support. Who do you feel that you want to um, connect with? Which which friendships do you want to prioritize? And who's doing that same thing for you? Yes. And there's a bit of pushback on that. And I think there's, there's validity on both ends, but this idea that, crises and these kind of very difficult moments are not the time to be judging our friends and are not the time to be um, gauging the healthiness of our friendships because people are struggling. People are really struggling and that can understandably affect our willingness and ability to show up for others.
1: Mm, Yes. Oh, that's so important to, to not get caught into that that rigidity in either perspective but rather having that flexibility throughout both of those so change can be really hard for people to deal with how how do we allow our friendships to evolve because that's that's painful right when especially when you know thinking of that situation where one friend really wants you know people can't see this but I'm putting my hands closer together Mm -hmm. right so we really want to maintain that closeness but one friend has things going on in their life and they're growing distant and right that's kind of one dynamic that happens but yeah how How do we let our friendships evolve
0: yeah I actually see the most important piece of this is accepting that they will Mm. that change is inevitable in our friendships I mean public too to some extent we we tend to butt heads with the people we're closest with right yeah and I can relate to that in relationships (laughs) so yeah I think that change is really inevitable and the more room we can make for that and the more we can normalize that experience, the less upsetting it will be. And the more tolerance we'll have and the more patience we'll have both for others and for ourselves. On on the other hand, just, I said this before, but just like we maybe never expected to grow apart or for our friendship to evolve, we can also come back to a similar place later on in life. And so just allowing space and allowing room for those kinds of ebbs and flows that can be incredibly helpful because the minute things start to change it's very easy to read into it and to think what does this mean again what does this say about me what does this say about my friend what does this say about our friendship and are things uh, changing in a way that I'm just not comfortable with or is this the beginning of the end Mm -hmm. And of course, sometimes that might be true, but not always.
1: So so what would you suggest someone do in that situation? Because that's a tough one, eh? That Something's starting to change. I, I mean, I guess the first thing would be, what type of friendship do you have with this individual? Or what type of friendship do you want to have? Mm-hmm. Um, but when things start to change like that, what, what would someone do?
0: I actually find that transparency here can be the most helpful strategy. So really, not just to label it yourself, but have a conversation with your friend. Hey, I'm noticing that this is how things are changing. We're not talking as often as we once were. We're not doing the kinds of things that we used to do together. We're not connecting in the same way and bringing in that curiosity that you mentioned before. Have you noticed that this is also happening? What is this like for you? So having those kinds of conversations can be incredibly helpful Uh, And incredibly
1: difficult, yes. Right? Because (laughs) so I want to emphasize there that this is one of the techniques I use in relationships too. I notice, I notice Mm -hmm. this is happening. So it's not a, it's not blaming. It's not saying you, you're doing this. What's up with you? Right. Instead, it's kind of that taking responsibility that you're having a feeling about something, Mm -hmm. and you're reflecting and being curious. So you're not blaming um, or accusing. You're not getting defensive about it or critical. But yeah, that's hard, eh?
0: It's hard. I mean, we're not, um, I'll use the word trained, but that's not necessarily what I mean. We're, we're not, not taught taught. No. We're not taught to have those kinds of conversations. And we're certainly not taught to have those kinds of conversations in the context of our friendships, right? There's oh, a and lot so you, of talk. Even just of, to
1: respond, right? Yeah. E- even just on the receiving end yeah. to receive a comment like that of like, hey, I notice this is happening. We're not taught how to even respond to that and deal with it. No, no. And that kind of open and honest communication
0: in the context of our friendships is really not spoken about. I think that there is more and more work being done on that in the context of our romantic relationships, right? Emphasizing yes. the importance of open communication and of transparency and honesty and, and quality time even. But we don't necessarily have those same kinds of explicit expectations or conversations when it comes mm. to our friendships. And so just knowing that it's not just okay to have those types of conversations, but that that's ultimately what allows us to Navigate these changes together, and ultimately to feel a sense of closeness that can be incredibly helpful. You were talking about this, you know, um, I, I I statements, I language, not blaming the other person, and in the context of our friendships, and I would imagine this is also very true with couples as well. I see it as being very helpful to use I statements, I'm noticing, I feel, or to also frame it as a dynamic because there is a dynamic involved, right? Friendships, relationships of all kinds. It takes, it takes two people to see a friendship through. And so using kind of this I or we language can be helpful. Mm -hmm. We are no longer connecting the same way. We are having trouble staying in touch as opposed to you aren't doing your part. You're not doing enough. Mm. That can be incredibly helpful. And I also find anticipating changes or anticipating the possibility of change can be incredibly helpful for maintaining our friendships and and for um, keeping that sense of closeness. So, you know, one person's about to become a parent or, you know, somebody's about to move, you know, uh, cities or states, you know, somebody's having a major change at work. Having conversations about how do you think this will impact our friendship? Uh, are you going to have as much time as you did before? What do you think it'll be like? What can I do to make this a little bit easier on you and on us? Here's what I'm worried about happening. You know, Those mm. kinds of conversations can be really helpful.
1: You know, it's interesting. I can do those conversations in my romantic relationship. I can do that with my partner. But even as I'm sitting here and listening to you do that, I, I'm, I'm almost getting this like anxiety feeling yes. of like, yeah, I have to say this to my friends, <laughs> which, which is, is, is represents that sense. Like I teach people how to communicate all day long. I know how to communicate. I know mm-hmm. how to talk about expectations and, mm-hmm. and needs and feelings. But Oh, boy, that's really hard, especially when we're just not used to doing this in our relationships.
0: Yeah, yeah. I- I relate to that anxiety myself, right? Like just (laughs) just because I I talk about this all day long and because I work with other people, I experience it in my own friendships for sure. I mean, I think the important point here is that you don't have to have these conversations, right? Nobody is saying this is exactly what you need to communicate. This is the only thing you can do to to stay close and to navigate these changes together. Mm -hmm. It's just one option. It's one possibility that allows us to feel connected, to feel heard and to show that we're committed to seeing our friendships Mm. um, thrive and that way of communicating our involvement, communicating our investment, that can be incredibly powerful.
1: You know, it's almost I love that anticipation idea. It's almost like saying, like, you know, I'm because we do a lot of thinking, right? So and our thinking is very a large chunk of what's happening inside of us is our internal experience, and people don't see that. um in couples, you know, I draw a big circle and inside I draw a little circle, uh, like an avocado almost. And that little circle is what your partner knows about you, but there's mm-hmm. all this other stuff, and same thing with friends, right? But this idea that you say, openly to your, to your friend, you know, I know that you've got this big thing, you know, I know you're about to have a baby and naturally our friendship is about to change. What do you need from me during this time? And it, it makes yourself vulnerable in a way of eh? being able to say like, I'm willing to, to see that you are changing and we're going to change and I'm okay. And I can tolerate that. And then what can I do to make sure you're supported during that time?
0: Yeah. Yeah. It, it, there's an incredible sense of vulnerability that comes with that, mm-hmm. which is, I think, part of, partly where the anxiety is coming from, that mm-hmm. it is difficult to embrace that vulnerability. And yet it's that very experience that contributes to that closeness in our friendships because we are able to have the experience of of self-disclosure of sharing our inner experiences. And we know that that's how we build trust in our friendships mm-hmm. because we're able to see that ideally our friend can hold space for those fears and those yes. feelings and those questions and that they can reassure us. And I, this works best when it's not done in a reassurance seeking you know, type of way, even though I think there is a little bit of that going on that we sometimes need to know that not only are, are we wanting to maintain our friendship, but that our friend is too. Mm-hmm
1: yeah that it's okay to reassure your friend day like yes you're important to me you really matter to me i'm going through this change and this isn't about you it's just really what i need right now that can be really powerful you know i can even think about entering into motherhood for myself and struggling in those first few months as many women do Mm -hmm. um and naturally feeling that sometimes if i was with a certain friend that maybe we didn't just didn't quite jive on our experiences or beliefs around motherhood. That I would find myself just, you know, kind of stepping back and maybe not seeing them as much. But it was never that, you know, what their choices or opinions were was about me doing something wrong. It mm-hmm. was just simply that we were different. And what was important for me in that time, because I know motherhood can stir up a lot of this as well in friendships, but that it was it wasn't about us as friends. It was just what I needed at the time. And it was okay for me to kind of experience that distance. And then actually much later we've become so close, right? So it really can be that coming and going, but it's not personal. Yeah. What happens if someone's not able to receive feedback? You know, I'm thinking of that example of, it's so easy with your friends. It's almost like, I love the example of, You know, you're walking side by side and you're going on a hike and it's so easy when you're side by side, you're shoulder to shoulder and you're like, oh, let me tell you about this stressful event at work and oh, this boss and oh, Tom, I'm going to tell you about my partner and I can't believe he's doing this, right? It's, It's quite easy at times to have that conversation shoulder to shoulder. But then when it comes to almost like sitting across from the table from each other where I'm giving you feedback and saying like, hey, look... You know, you've been late when we've been meeting lately and that's been really hard for me because I value our time together and I really need you to show up. What happens if they can't receive that kind of feedback? Because that's, that's hard. Yeah. Here's what comes to mind. You know,
0: typically when we're having those kinds of conversations, it's something that we've done a lot of thinking about, right? Mm. We've we've noticed this pattern happening. We're noticing the feelings that it's stirring up. We're noticing which values this is conflicting with. And we've yeah. probably thought a lot about how we want to communicate this. And that's not to say that our friend is always caught off guard with this information. information. They just not, they maybe won't be in the right place or the right time to receive it. And they mm. haven't had the opportunity to think this through and to come up with how they're feeling and what their experience is. And so I do see there being value in allowing our friends to process some of this on their own time and on their own terms in order to be able to have a healthier conversation. And so sometimes it's a matter of asking our friends, look, here's something I'm noticing. I'd really like to have this kind of conversation. I know that this might be a little awkward or uncomfortable to deal with. Um, Is this something you're open to talking about? And when would be a good time? And allowing our friends to take a step back, think about what they want to communicate Mm. and then coming into that conversation together. And that can help it to feel much less like an ambush.
1: Right, so you're not getting into that escalation that we see happen in couples, but also with friendships, right? How easily we get our defenses up when we feel that perceived attack, right? It might not necessarily be an attack when someone gives you feedback or expresses their own feelings or needs. You know, I, I'm totally thinking of couples therapy, here, so, but, <laughs> but right in the sense that sometimes we just need to give that time to think things over and view what's going on for you, what's going on for me, rather than that defensiveness. I, I have to ask Miriam, texting, is this something mm. you do over text?
0: Typically, I mean again, I never like to give, you know, <laughs> concrete answers because for some right. For some friendships, that might be absolutely okay. I would say I would really not encourage people to have these actual conversations through text. If anything, if it works for your friendship and if this makes sense, you can send the initial memo through text of, Hey, I would really like to have a conversation. Can you let me know when you're free? Those kinds of questions, um, which give our friend a little bit of a heads up that we want to have a potentially sensitive conversation. But no, I would say this is, this is the kind of conversation that you really want to have uh, either in person, if that's possible, or, you know, Zoom call, we're able to have access to both verbal and nonverbal information just because there's so much subtlety that gets lost through text messages. Um, So
1: much gets lost.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and, the last thing we want to do is to have these kinds of difficult or sensitive conversations drive us further apart. Usually we're doing this in an effort to maintain our friendship and in, in an effort to stay close. Right.
1: Yeah. Okay. So the one that we started out by saying that, you know, this happens for many people in terms of friendship breakups or Um, the distancing between two people. How does one decide when they need to let go of a friendship? Because I think this is a, a tough decision to make.
0: Yeah. So this is an interesting question. And this actually ties back in many ways to the research that I've done on adult friendships, looking at what are the different expectations that we have for our friends? What are the different types of challenges or conflicts that come up in our friendships? On the one hand... The ending of a friendship or a friendship breakup can be due to what we call a transgression. So what that means is that one person or one friend has violated a core expectation of friendship. So somebody is behaving uh, completely unreliably. They violated your trust in some way. There's a very significant imbalance in the friendship. Mm. Those types of experiences... Uh, are much more likely to lead to the ending of a friendship than smaller conflicts. Uh, I would say even on the transgression end, though, usually there's an accumulation of events. So normally we would not necessarily break up a friendship if a friend is late once, right? But if this is the kind of friend who is consistently unreliable, not showing up, not calling you back, not investing, not showing that type of reciprocity, and we've spoken about it, then potentially we might start to question, does this person care about me? Because the issue is no longer about the lateness. It's about how you feel in that friendship and whether you feel like this person values you. Um. So the reasons why friendships end can really vary. And it's also personal, right? We all have our own non-negotiables. We all have our own boundaries. We're entitled to those. We're entitled to our values and we get to decide whether this is a friendship that we are invested in or that we're willing to continue prioritizing. That's something that obviously we, we get to choose what I do like to do is to encourage people to kind of reflect on a series of questions when they're thinking about, is this a friendship I'm willing to continue investing in, or is this a friendship that I'm ready to let go of? Uh, So I'm happy to kind of walk you through those that. Yes.
1: um, Yeah. First I I saw this very powerful Instagram post. Okay. And from (laughs) you, no from you. (laughs) Okay. Uh, So, so do you want to read it? Or do you want me to read it? Go, Go for it. You said good friends are consistent uh, not conditional. Mm-hmm. We expect our friends to be there for us regardless of the situation we're in or the people we're with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so, oh, that was so powerful when you posted that. Okay. So consistent, not yeah. conditional.
0: Yeah. It's interesting that you, you chose that one because I have to say, I wrote it out and my first reaction was yes, great. I think this really summarizes a lot of what we're looking for in our friendships, right? That unconditional um, acceptance. And yet I was immediately struck then with this question of, well, we also need boundaries in our friendships, right? And there will be times when we are not able to show up for our friends. And so there was a bit of questioning on my end too when I shared that if I don't want to communicate that our friends always have to be there for us. Otherwise there's something wrong with that friendship or that we always have to be willing to sacrifice for our friends. Mm-hmm. But I do think there's something to be said for that experience of feeling that acceptance and feeling that investment. Because we know, and this is something I talk a lot about, but we know that part of what separates our friendships from our other relationships, including our partnerships to some extent, our family relationships, is that there isn't this outright expectation that we have to stay involved in each other's lives. And what that means is that we obviously and our friends are continuously choosing to stay connected. And that choice isn't necessarily always a conscious decision or an explicit conversation, but there's this ongoing involvement and investment. And the more we can do to show our friends that we are interested in staying connected and that we are there for them, the closer our friendships feel.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Walk us to those questions.
0: Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, you know the first question is is quite subjective, actually, and I would say it 's how does this friendship make you feel because we know and that, again, the same is absolutely true of our of our romantic relationships, but feeling connected to the people around us is so closely linked with our emotional health and well being and that is beautiful and wonderful and meaningful, but it also carries with it a certain um, a certain significance right there's there 's a weight to that, and there can be consequences to staying in a friendship that is no longer healthy in some way, or that is uh, imbalanced or that's draining. That's not to say that you can't fix it, but it, it, we should be thinking about how do we feel in this friendship? How does this person make me feel? That includes obviously when you're spending time together, but just noticing how do I feel leading up to conversations with this friend? What's coming up for me when we're making plans? How do I feel after spending time with this person? Those types of questions can help us to gauge the healthiness of our connections. What it makes me think of, so you're absolutely familiar with this, I'm sure, but Gottman has done some research trying to quantify this, right? And there's this five to one ratio that's out there where for for every conflict or difficult experience that we have, we should have five positive interactions. And my guess is that, especially in our friendships, there's a lot of individual variability here that it isn't as clear cut, but there is something to be said for this idea that on the whole, our friendships make us feel good. That doesn't always necessarily mean happy, but that there's meaning there. We feel connected. So I Mm -hmm. think that above everything is actually the most important question that we should ask ourselves. I'll also add, I think this idea of um, perspective is really important, especially when it comes to conflicts, ongoing conflicts, transgressions. Is this a pattern or is this a one-time experience? Because unless there's been some very significant betrayal Uh, that you were just absolutely not okay with, what we really want to be asking ourselves is, is there a history here? Mm -hmm. Is this something that's happened before? And have I communicated that this is something that I'm not okay with? Because again, we're all going through our own stuff, right? Right. And there will be moments when we are less available. And there will be moments when we're not as good of a friend as we have been or can be. And that is okay. And there needs to be room for that in our friendships. But when Mm. this is an ongoing pattern, and when we've communicated that this isn't something that we're okay with, or that this has hurt us in some way, we would hope that um, there would be some type of openness. And I think this is kind of the next question, this idea of Is there openness to feedback or change? So when I communicate what bothers me or what I'm finding difficult or what I'm struggling with, do I feel like my friend is listening? Do Mm -hmm. I feel like they're reflecting on this? Are they willing to share their perspective? Balance in terms of who is invested in seeing this friendship Continue. And when it's only one person who's motivated to stay connected, no matter what we do, that friendship is unlikely to last. There really needs to be an
1: investment from both ends. That reminds me so much of a relationship, of a romantic relationship, just in the sense of, you know, I, I often see, it could be one partner, right? But the women that I work with, they're pulling and they're like mm-hmm. pulling their partners. And, and we've got to ask ourselves, you know, are, are you willing to just, you've got two, two choices, not always just two, but one is we accept our partners for how they are, or we have to change something, right? Because if they're not open to that change with you, then where does that leave you? We, we need to be growing. The analogy I use in couples therapy is it's like you have your two trees and you've got to grow your tree branches together Mm -hmm. and you are continuously through everything in your life growing your branches together. Mm -hmm. If your partner is not choosing to do that with you, you can't you can't change them right yeah,
0: yeah you're, you're making think, you're making me think of another question that I want to add to this too which is this whole idea of change right it's very easy to to expect change from the other person in our relationship here's not what's not working here's what i need from you right but we can only we we have very little control over that right we can't influence how other people respond or what they do to change their situation and so i guess it would also be really interesting to ask ourselves What can I change? Is there anything I can change in terms of how I'm responding to this person, in terms of how I'm communicating my expectations, in terms Mm -hmm. of adjusting my expectations, that those kinds of questions can potentially allow us to determine whether or not this is a friendship we are uh, committed to.
1: Mm, Yes, absolutely. So one of the common things we hear today in part due to technology is that relationships end by ghosting. So if we're talking about breakups in our friendships, we need to talk about what the options are and the best way to end a friendship. So maybe you can help walk us through some of the ways that we might choose to end one of our friendships. Yeah.
0: So I don't think you or anyone listening will be surprised, but my answer firstly is it depends, right? In terms of, <laughs> of, of again, who we are, who this person is, and what the circumstances are that are leading to this distancing or to our desire to to let go of this friendship, I will say that as much as possible, ghosting should not be on the table. That this can really be incredibly painful, incredibly difficult for the person who's being ghosted. They're left with very significant questions, uh, overwhelming uncertainty about what happened. And in those moments, again, where there is that uncertainty, it's very easy to assign blame Mm -hmm. because we are trying to make sense of it. And so that's very difficult on an emotional level. But the other piece of this is that even for the person who's doing the ghosting, so to speak, it's not as easy as we would like to believe that doing that can leave us with a lot of uncertainty and with an incredible sense of anxiety, it's often done, I would say, as kind of a um, a quick, not a quick fix, but it's done on impulse and it's done to avoid the initial anxiety. You don't want to have that difficult conversation. You don't want to uh, go through what happened or what's led to this moment in time in your relationship. And so you avoid. But the problem is that we can end up feeling anxious we end up feeling guilty much of the time that on some level we know that this isn't a healthy way to resolve this conflict or to let go of this friendship and because our friendships are also embedded in a larger social network chances are many of many of the times that this is somebody that we'll connect with in some right. way perhaps we're connected on social media still, perhaps we have mutual friends in common and we then have to decide what to do in those situations and so ghosting typically does not work as well as we would like to believe that's kind of, I guess, the take-home point there. Yeah. In, in terms of what we then do, there are different options. One option is to have an explicit discussion. Mm-hmm. So to have a very clear conversation about what has happened, what you're feeling, ideally allowing space for a friend to communicate their perspective, and to, in the best of cases, leave on good or civil terms. So what I mean by that is can you get to a place where you on the one hand are clear about the fact that this is no longer working clear about what your expectations are for your friendship will you continue seeing each other in groups will you communicate or be civil with each other when you do run into each other will you communicate through social media you can both be on the same page about what those expectations are and can you get to a place where you're grateful for the experiences that you did share for the memories that you do have together Those kinds of discussions can allow us to honor the friendship history that we have Mm. and leave on terms that ideally both people feel comfortable with. Even if both people are not necessarily okay with the end result, I find those conversations can allow us to manage some of the more difficult emotions that come with friendship breakups it isn't always easy to do. It's not always a possibility. And sometimes that's also not what we want, right? We just want to create certain boundaries or to create a little bit of distance. And so the options there are twofold. I find on the one hand, creating this distance can be very helpful. And that often looks like gradually withdrawing our support or our involvement. So we're not calling somebody as often. We're not seeing them as often. We're not the one who's initiating get togethers as often. And sometimes that's done in an effort to, again, create this distance and um, signal in some way that this is the end of our friendship. And sometimes that's actually done in an effort to encourage our friends to re-engage, to show their involvement. Uh, So I find when there's an imbalance going on, that tends to be a strategy that many people use. I'll add that even in those situations, it's not uncommon to then have a discussion, right? Because if we're pulling away If our friends are confused by that, if they're not in agreement with that as a strategy, they might call us on that and say, hey, what's going on here? And so even in those situations, I encourage people to be ready to potentially have those conversations that that might come up. The other option, though, is to set boundaries by compartmentalizing. And so that means setting limits on the types of things that you do together, the kinds of discussions that you have, the kinds of activities that you share together together, knowing that those are the moments that are most likely to contribute to heartache. And what this does is that it allows us ideally to preserve the healthier aspects of our friendships.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so nurturing the parts that are working instead mm-hmm. of the parts that aren't. Okay, let, yeah. Go let's ahead, talk about the aftermath because one of the mm-hmm. challenges is that a friendship breakup may be one that's incredibly hard, but the decision still needs to take place for the health of oneself. Yeah. Um, and that's the dialect, right? That's the concept of the dialectic where there are two opposing opposites. It's not or or but, it's and. So we can love and care for a person and we also need to create that space and distance from them. So what tips would you give to someone to help mourn the loss of a friendship?
0: Mm-hmm. So a lot of this I maps on to how we would cope with any other breakup, right? I think it's, it's a matter of recognizing that friendship breakups are incredibly painful, that even if both people are on the same page, there can still be this sense of loss, this mourning, this grief that happens. And so knowing that that might happen, as you said, not always, there might also be relief. And so I think that's why as much as possible, normalizing that friendship breakups or dissolutions happen and that that's expected and that that's okay and allowing space for whatever emotions come up, Mm -hmm. that not necessarily judging ourselves for how we're feeling in response to this breakup and really speaking to ourselves the way we would a good friend and the way that we wish our friend would speak to us and treating ourselves with kindness and not judging ourselves for feeling relief, not judging ourselves for feeling guilty and just knowing that There will be waves of that and that it might even impact us at a later date. Right. Right. We need to be prepared to be reminded of this person and to be reminded of our friendship, uh, the good times and the more challenging times at unexpected moments and just kind of surfing those waves as they come.
1: This, this idea around grief is that, you know, you, you, you almost in a way grieve forever, right? That over time, the pain lessens, um, but there will always be those small tinges when mm-hmm. someone important, when you lose someone that's important to you.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's where I find making sure we're connecting with the people that are in our life and that mm-hmm. are still in our lives can be incredibly helpful. So turning to friends, friends. Um, practicing gratitude for the connections that we do have, finding support in our community, that can be incredibly helpful because we all need to feel connected. And when we are lacking that or losing that in some way, we really want to go out of our way to make sure that we still experience that sense of connection. I also find what can be helpful, I know we've spoken a lot about how easy it is to blame ourselves but there can be a certain level of self-reflection here that I think is very helpful. And what I mean by that is not to blame ourselves and to say, oh, this is all my fault or to say, oh, this is all my friend's fault, but to really ask ourselves, what can I learn from this? This isn't an experience I'm necessarily okay with. This isn't something I would choose, but can I find meaning in this? And to ask ourselves questions like, what do I want to do differently moving forward in my other friendships or with new friends that I'll make at some point? Uh, questions that can be helpful here are things like, um, you know, how can I be a better friend? How can I choose wisely moving forward? Mm. How do I know what's important to me? What values of mine were not, um, or what what expectations or needs were not being met in this one friendship that I, are very important moving forward? Um, who do I want to spend my time with? Those types of questions can allow us to, not just cope with the difficulty in the moment, but to strengthen our friendship groups and social circles moving forward.
1: Yes, the importance there of we're always evolving and we're always mm-hmm. growing and changing. And we we get to choose and move forward from that. We're not always going to be the same person. And actually mm-hmm. being the same person and showing up in every event, situation, space, relationship is, is not always going to be helpful, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm why do friendship breakups hurt so badly? This is a question yeah. that someone asked me um, from my Instagram page because it's, you know, it's painful. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's a really interesting question because in many ways, our friendships and breakups in our friendships are so closely linked with our romantic relationships. And there's a lot of overlap. And in other ways, there's a lot of difference there. And I do think that one of the major differences, again, is that we don't talk about friendship breakups the same way. That there's this understanding that breakups happen in our romantic partnerships and that that's just, again, a universal experience that most of us go through at some point, And there isn't that same type of normalization that happens in the context of friendships. The other related point is that, for the most part, the expectations that we have about what a breakup looks like are quite clear when it comes to our romantic relationships. We expect to have those very Explicit conversations. We expect to have that clarity. There are discussions about closure and how that feels and what that looks like. And we don't have those same kinds of expectations when it comes to our friendships. And so people are left feeling very uncertain about how to navigate that, uh, unclear on whether they're handling it in the appropriate way or whether their reactions are normal. And that uncertainty, again, can lead to a certain amount of shame and isolation. Mm. And so I see in many ways, the antidote to that uh, as being, the antidote is talking about this, right, and normalizing this experience. So I do think that's one part of it. There's also the voluntary nature, again, that ties in here. And this idea that our friends are choosing to stay connected to us, and that if they are no longer choosing, that that says something about us. And that can bring with it a certain amount of pain as well.
1: Yes, of course, right? There's um, the sense of us not liking the uncertainty, right? We tend to like things that are certain. We tend to really like control. And when it comes to relationships, we absolutely cannot have any certainty or control. Yeah. Do you have any tips on how someone might deal with reconnecting with a friend after some Mm. time apart? So that's an interesting question. My
0: my first advice here is to to choose wisely. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is that might not want to rekindle all of our friendships. Now, it, that doesn't mean that we can never um, speak again or that there needs to be this, this kind of very abrupt or clear end to our relationship or friendship. But there are some friendships that ended for a reason. And we are just two different people that aren't able to connect in the way that we once did. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. So to really ask ourselves, if we're thinking about rekindling or reconnecting in some way, what's different? right? What's different about me? What's different about this person? How are things going to be different in our friendship this time around? And what can we do to ensure that we're able to connect in a healthier way? And the answers to those questions and what's possible will really differ depending on who this person is and who we are, obviously. My next piece of advice is to test the waters. So to start small, that for the most part, when it comes to this rekindling process or this reconnecting, it doesn't typically happen by just jumping into a situation and having that happen overnight. What we want to do is to reach out in small ways that allow us to communicate that we are upping the ante a little bit, that we are interested in reconnecting, that gives our friends some space and time to think about whether they too are interested in reconnecting and allows us to gauge their receptiveness or responsiveness. Mm. So sending somebody a message at a time that's socially sanctioned can be helpful. So sending somebody birthday wishes or noticing that they went on a recent trip and just saying, hope you had a great time, asking somebody for a recommendation that you know they'd be happy to provide, something they know a lot about. Those types of messages can be very helpful because they aren't likely to be experienced as personal intrusions. Uh They're going to be much more welcome and can allow you to then hopefully rebuild some of that closeness. And again, what might happen is you might get to a point where you then need to have a conversation about what went on, resolve some of the hurt feelings, uh, get a bit more clarity about where you both stand and figure out how things will be different moving forward. And if you do have those conversations, again, it can really help to give somebody fair warning. So to say, I've been thinking a lot about our friendship. I'd really like to have a chat. Uh, There's some things I'd like to share. I'd love to hear your perspective on what went on. I've been thinking a lot about you. Is this something you'd be open to?
1: That Mm -hmm. can be helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's almost these, this idea that we, we won't go back to the way we were, right? We Who we are before is not going to be who we are today. And so we can't expect to jump into the same relationship again. So even if we were to rekindle, there's this sense of um, you, you're mourning the old relationship and celebrating and starting something new, which can also be... Unique and different and meaningful in many different ways, not necessarily how it was before, because we've all yeah. changed over time.
0: Yeah, and I think you just shared something so important that I talk a lot about, which is this idea of balancing past and future, right? Mm. That it can help to reminisce and to remember those shared experiences, to both be on the same page in terms of expressing gratitude for what happened, but making sure that in order to reconnect, there needs to be a sense of newness. Things will change, that's okay,
1: and that we should actually seek that in some way. Yes. Oh, Miriam, you have offered us so much insight into this topic of how our friendships change and end. I know that you are a leading expert in this area and that you are contributing so much to our understanding of adult friendships. And I'm so grateful to have you on our podcast today. So thank you so much for your time.
0: Thank you so much for having me. I always love chatting with you.
1: Where can people find you?
0: So uh, if you're interested in learning more about my work on friendship, you can read some of my recent articles on my website, which is MiriamKermeyer.com. Uh, and I'd also love to connect on social media at Miriam Kermeyer. I'm on Instagram and uh, Twitter and Facebook.
1: Of course, this podcast is strictly for informational purposes and does not substitute for mental health care from a licensed professional. Have a great week. What's up, guys? I'm Gabrielle Stone, host of FML Talk. After being love-bombed, married, and cheated on, trust me, I've got some perspective on love, heartbreak, trauma, and healing. FML Talk has become weekly therapy for my listeners where I give you a safe space to heal with, of course, a few F-bombs thrown in